Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Sometimes when you're in the middle of a crisis, like we are now with the coronavirus, uh, it really does have ultimately shine a very bright light on some of the real weaknesses and foibles in our society. So when all this is over, and as we said, it will end. We will get over coronavirus, but there will still be health disparities, which we really do need to address in the African-American community. We have to start planning, restarting life. We're not there yet, but this is not a light switch that we can just flick one day and everything goes back to normal. We're going to have to restart that economy. I would follow the advice of my uh, physician, um, and uh, and I would recommend that approach to every okay. single one. Uh, Harris. Hello, and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. As you may have heard, we're turning into a nation of bakers here in America. My house has much homegrown yeast and a sourdough starter name of Mayor Quimby that gets pride of place in our kitchen. Muffins, something called a Dutch baby is there. We've got chocolate chip cookies in obscene numbers, cupcakes, biscuits, scones. The oven is essentially never cool. And because this is happening evidently in other plague bunkers, stress, boredom, pre-Passover, longings for leaven, who knows? But there is, and I'm not kidding, a yeast shortage alive in the land. The Calgary Herald reported just this week that the Fleischmann's plant in Calgary in Canada has been working fully 25% over capacity to meet the increased yeast demand in North America. What the AF? I'm going to guess, and I'm very not staying in my lane, so if you like lane stayers, and I respect that, hit the quick fast forward. But what if we... As human organisms, chock full of microbes, and our guts are the most biodiverse place on the planet, find our own microbiome teeming with bugs so threatened by this new, new novel virus that we are reaching for, running for our favorite friend organism, our little fungal buddy yeast, to give us moral support. Okay, back to my lane. But see how I said moral support? I'm not claiming immune support. I'm not claiming curative powers for yeast, however magic it right now seems. But I'm saying bugs are damned formidable. You know, that electromicroscopic coronavirus particle has frightened humanity all over the globe into submission as a god or tyrant has never been able to do. And when threatened by a novel virus, we might, just saying we might, seek a friendly fungus. Brought to you by Fleischmann's Yeast. And of course, my own nightmare addled cabin fevered brain. My guest today is Jennifer Sr., an opinion writer at the New York Times. Jennifer has a terrific column this week about Trump's catastrophically damaged mind and the catastrophic damage it is now inflicting on this country. Welcome to Trumpcast, Jennifer. Hi, Virginia. Oh my God. I'm so excited to be here. 
I'm delighted to have you. Part of the reason I had to get in touch with you is not just because you've been writing regularly brilliant things for The Times, but because your piece the other day, this week, really just nailed so many things, so many terrible things about the president and his response to coronavirus. It's almost like you're tired of parsing the small bad things about the president minute to minute. The second paragraph of your piece starts, enough is enough. And I, that is the tone of this whole piece. Tell us about what drove you to write this. Well, I think you're right that to some degree, right, you can go each time and look at all of the kind of micro lies and the or macro lies, but you can keep that running tally and you can debunk as you go and you can fact check on the spot or you can pull back and say that this is part of a broader problem and that you can decide that there's a pink elephant in the room and that you're going to actually stare right at it. I think that in the case of Trump, what's fascinating, and I'm, I'm interested that people are reluctant to frame it this way, but I really do mean it. I do think that it is as important to think about him psychologically as it is to think about him ideologically, and that what he does is motivated or that we have to frame our thinking about him in terms of psychopathology and not only in terms of like what might motivate his base, what is, you know, what might motivate, um, the, 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 his various constituencies. I think you have to look at it differently. And George Conway wrote what I thought was kind of the great, if it walks like a duck and it sounds like a duck, it's a duck piece back in October for The Atlantic, saying, psychiatrists have mentioned this, they've talked about this a lot, I don't know why we're being shy. This man has every single feature, you can map it on, you know, lake for lake, forest for forest, tree for tree, his traits to a narcissistic personalities. And once you think about him that way, it's very hard to unsee it and unthink about him in that way. And his whole response to the pandemic, I think, has been informed by this. We are looking at a deeply narcissistic personality and a malignant narcissistic personality handling a crisis. And this is what it looks like. And this is what it means to have sent somebody like that to the Oval Office. Your first description of him in this piece, or of his mind, I almost feel like I've read every bit of haiku that attempts to describe the president's mind in technical terms, in, you know, just Rick Wilsonian insults. (laughs) (laughs) This one, to me, really just introduces something new, at least to my way of thinking. You call his mind a cramped and disordered mind, a darkened attic of fluttering bats. It actually brings to mind, and I know you were a book critic in another life, it brings to mind Dave Eggers' book, The Captain and the Glory. I don't know if you've read it. It's an allegory about the present. It's also beautifully done. But I just want to go through every word of this because cramped, disordered, dark, and (laughs) filled, of course, with fluttering bats, which have a particular implication in the days of coronavirus. Yeah. And I don't think that was an accident. What do you mean by cramped and disordered, just in your impression of him? Look, you know, you can actually look at this through the DSM prism, or you can just look at it through um, what it is that we all in the American public see. But cramped and disordered, I mean, the man can't start a sentence and get out of it alive. Yeah. Some of that was just, I wasn't thinking psychologically, I was thinking almost syntactically that the man can't, like, you know, that there's some kind of executive function or malfunction going on. And cramped in that, like, he's very perseverative. He falls back on the exact same kind of non-Catskills repertoire of things that he says. So it's always, no, I got in there early, above the protests of everyone else. We couldn't go to China. He's constantly going back to that, where he can't get out of, like, this one way of thinking. So that's what I meant by I mean, it's not a very capacious and imaginative, you know, kind of way of 
looking at a crisis. What you need now is like the most imaginative, open mind and the most kind of flexibility possible. And we're getting someone who is just very nervously clinging to the same three things. But it was it looked like that when I got here and there was no ammunition. The general said there were no bullets. It's just the same kind of nervous, jittering talking points. It's this strange and improbable combination of being both highly disorganized and having almost no room. And then there was the idea, you know, the dark and the cast of his mind is dark. I mean, you know, he picks fights the way other people pick flowers. He picks lots and lots and lots of fights and he's angry. And, you know, there are just lots of little drive-bys as he's talking up there, you know, it's especially at female reporters, but especially when they ask a question that's not only legitimate, but actually something that's top of mind. You know, what do you say to people that are anxious or concerned? What do you say to them? I say that you're a bad reporter. I mean, (laughs) how is that a response? That was an astounding law. I know. That's the kind of thing that Governor Cuomo licks his chops when he gets a question like that. Totally, to play like America's Oprah. Oh my God, I love that stuff. Totally. No, no, no. I agree. And and by the way, the bats thing, I also just imagine them kind of knocking around the kind of disorder of that. I mean, really, there is just, it's utter chaos. To me, I'm I'm just terrified by how nonlinear, you know, his his brain is right now. I have just like a kind of magnificently disorganized it is. It just looks like somebody walked over to a shelf and shook, and it's just all there on the floor. With the darkness and the fluttering bats, and obviously that has bat shit crazy in it and sort of bats in the <laughs> attic kind of thing and batty, I'm of the school, and my my partner thinks that I do this kind of virtue as its own reward, and people are suffering like you know they don't, they're doing if they're doing the wrong thing they're always suffering, and I, I somehow refuse to acknowledge that he, the president might feel that he's winning as much as he claims it. But I I like your explanation of his or your implication that he's also suffering and that, you know, this is sort of no way to live. I mean, this is the goes to the president never laughs, that it's a a certain amount of imagination and compassion are necessary constituent parts of a working mind. And that, I don't know, it's important to me to think that whatever the president says, he's, this is not what winning looks like. This is not a model for how to be in the world. You know, what you just said is very interesting because there are two things. The idea that he can't fathom other people's suffering is true. But you also said something which is fascinating, which is that, like, he, he seems in some ways to be suffering, which I think is right. And it's important to point this out. Um, he, for a long time, I think Alan Francis, who wrote the DSM, the latest version of the DSM, you know, he was saying that he he wasn't sure. A lot of his colleagues think that, like, it's just abundantly clear that Trump is a narcissistic personality or shows all the signs, all the hallmarks. It's consistent with being a narcissistic personality. But Alan Francis would hold out and say, I'm not sure because, you know, narcissists suffer, you know, and um, I'm not sure that I see evidence of Trump suffering. I see lots of evidence right now of Trump suffering. He's having temper tantrums daily. You can't go a day without reading in the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or elsewhere that or Politico that he is melting down behind the scenes because he is so desperate to protect himself from his own feelings of inadequacy. And that is kind of what the suffering of a narcissist looks like. They are secretly so horrified. They live in terror of being exposed. They live in terror of you know, being um, ridiculed and humiliated. The one thing that no narcissist has is a sense of humor. So that, that is the absolute one thing you've never seen Trump 
do is laugh at himself. He can't. So he's certainly not capable, I think, of empathy in any way. I mean, that is another, you know, the whole world is merely, you know, an extension of himself or a mirror of himself. But he also, I think he's suffering right now because he's so in over his head and he's so weak right now. You know, this is the thing about narcissists generally is that they are not strong. They are secretly quite weak. And he's being asked to lead and it's proving too much. It's too hard. You've used the word weak before. And I always think about how after 9-11, it was somehow important to the sanity of Americans to refer to the 9-11 pilots and terrorists as cowards. And sometimes I thought, well, I don't know if cowardly is the word I would use for people that turned airplanes into bombs. But um, that's exactly maybe. what Susan Sontag said, right? I mean, wasn't that her point? It was not an act of cowardice. I mean, yes. Yeah. No, I don't think that's the right way to look at it at all. Yeah. But is weak, is weak doing the same thing here, which is just like, is it an effort to pull the pins out of him? Or is there, or is there like, is there use here to the word weak? I mean, he certainly put up a weak fight against a virus. No, I mean, I I hear you, but this is not some kind of verbal slight of hand. There's some kind of misdirection. He is genuinely weak. If he were strong, he'd be much more forceful about asserting, about shoring up his power and his leadership. But, you know, he would be like using all of the might of the Defense Production Act. You know, yes. he would be yes. saying, I am responsible for this crisis. It all stops with me. I will be figuring out a, ve- an, a ventilator allocation program. I will insist that all car manufacturers now lurch into high gear and make ventilators. I will insist on creating a supply. I will tell, you know, uh, people who manufacture clothing to make masks. It is, I, 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 I will do all of this. A weak person says, it's, uh, it's up to the states. Well, it's their responsibility. It's Cuomo's responsibility. Well, the supply was like that when I got here. You know, um, I, I, it was not my responsibility. I, I don't take responsibility at all. You're right that he should, you know, the source of the word arrogant, arrogate. He could arrogate to himself some responsibility. And you're right, the, the Defense Production Act, if I were an alpha male leader, there's nothing that I, I feel like I would get greater gratification from doing than just paternalistically saying, well, I'm just going to order everyone to make you all, all of you what you need because I am your great protector. It's not that you have to be a good person. You might just have to be a, you might just have to be as you say, as as you imply, a leader who wants to lead uh, instead of someone who's afraid to do so. I mean, bingo. And, and can I just say something? That I think it's worth noting. So many presidents would actually leap at that opportunity, particularly because it's not like an enemy. You're not thinking about it in this. You're not thinking about like a a war and like kind of the weird. I mean, I think that that might be a very frightening decision to make. I would think that it would be a really emboldening decision to be like, we need to make masks. We need to make ventilators. We need to make medical equipment to save lives. It just seems like every president who really dreams of the job wants an opportunity to show courage and to lead the nation through something very difficult. The other thing that I would say about that is that it rhymes perfectly with what Michael Wolff wrote in his book about how, like, no one at the Trump, in the Trump campaign expected to win. These people were as freaked out on the morning of November 9th as anyone else. They hadn't expected it to go this way. They all thought they were going to go off and, like, post their own 
Fox shows. And and would be able to complain about Hillary Clinton for the rest of yeah, their days. Exactly. They could heckle. They're yeah, they could heckle her. They're heckling Phil. They're heckling Obama and, and George W. Bush in the middle of a crisis. That is clearly their sweet spot. And it, it it's also interesting, and I also like the Michael Wolff books, but that Trump, they're such horrible winners. They've spent four years just still acting beleaguered. You know, they right. didn't spend even a minute. Just relax. Wow, you won the presidency and you have both houses of Congress. Just take a breath. It's off brand. It's off brand. It's off brand, right? They're victims. I mean, the whole point is that you have to cast yourself. It's a paradox as kind of the victim in chief. And you're leading like a, a, a group of people who are, you know, disenfranchised and disaffected, and, you know, who are. So he speaks for them. I mean, but the problem is this does not work particularly well when it comes to managing an epic crisis. It just doesn't work. You can't, you can't be helpless. You know, you've got to be forceful. And he's helpless. That's what's most striking to me. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Why do you think, consistent with this view of him as a narcissistic personality, why do you think Trump didn't take seriously warnings that the nation might be hit with a pandemic, which came seemingly from all quarters? It doesn't seem, I mean, I know he likes to ignore intelligence. On the other hand, I don't get quite how it was self-serving that he would deny that, right? There's some things that his brain does that I almost think are just a death wish, like looking into the solar eclipse. I don't know how the NPD diagnosis gives us a way to explain that. No, no, I was, I tried to think about that because, right, there is some element of wishful thinking, right? I mean, when he said, like, that it's just going to miraculously disappear and also just kind of stick your fingers in your ears and to ignore all the signs. I don't know. I mean, many people were doing that, right? I mean, it wasn't just him. Yeah. And so it's hard to know how that intersects with his particular personality um, or with this particular diagnosis. It might not, you know, in this particular case. Um, I mean, he's he's awfully selective about what he hears anyway. And this would just disrupt everything. You know, it, he brings up the stock market at every single press conference that it was doing so well, it was doing so great. I mean, he is still gasping in disbelief that he no longer has this thing to hang on to. I mean, that was really obviously quite traumatic. Um, and, you know, rather than, again, pivoting forward and saying, how can I get us out of this mess? He's just, you know, hanging on to it. So I don't know, it may have been impossible to countenance, but I don't, that was the one piece I'm not sure that, you know, you can make a case that you can, that ignoring facts, ignoring, you know, ground realities is consistent with NPD. Sometimes I think that not only does he not kind of believe in other minds and, and you know, have, have uh, clearly doesn't have compassion for suffering, but, but also doesn't seem to believe, you know, even for a second that one of the reporters who asks him a question might have a kind of logic that, you know, this is, that it isn't just... I don't know. He seems to see things as like arrows coming at him instead of possibly the cohesions of another mind. And and it's possible also that he seems to live in denial of natural laws. I know this is weird, but, you know, when he talks about 
his idea that you have a set amount of energy in the world and you eat McDonald's and it doesn't matter because of something, something, obviously the climate denial. And I can almost, you know, if you told him about a virus, it's like he's someone that denies the constant G kind of person. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, I do look... I don't want to speculate, I mean, whether he's a fantasist, you know, he definitely, what I find, if you're going to just go back to the NPD thing, he certainly exaggerates a lot, right? I mean, that is something that, I mean, exaggerating how powerful you are and what a big deal you are and what fine health you might be in and, you know, how wonderfully the economy is doing and how many people were, well, the economy was doing quite well, so that's actually like, but uh, was doing well, but, um, you know, how people were at your inauguration and that you were doing things that have never been done before, that everything you do is unprecedented. These are all um, kind of very consistent with the narcissistic personality. In terms of actually denying facts on the ground, like which I think is really interesting, like not just denying the existence of other minds or being able to fathom the existence of other um, minds, but being able to fathom the existence of like objective facts Yes. Whether there is some overlap. Yeah, that's totally fascinating. And we're now out of my depth. I don't know, but it's an amazingly astute observation. It shows up in the way that he moves through the world and has trouble on stairs and has trouble kind of perceiving objects outside his own body, you know, <laughs> walking in front of Melania. And I, I don't know. There's it, It's like a cognitive narcissism, too, that's like, there is only me in this room at any given time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. This is like where you just want to recruit other mental health professionals to actually weigh in. Because whenever, here's the truth. Every mental health professional who I've heard from, I mean, for once, like I have gotten no pushback from any person in the mental health world saying, I think this is a bridge too far. I'm not sure that it's appropriate because he's not, you know, your patient and you're not a credit. No one has said that. I have, what I've heard, and I've gotten tons of responses, right? What I've heard is, I think it's not only narcissism, but it's also X, Y, or Z. It's like other things, you know, it's, it's narcissism is just one piece of it, or maybe it's the centerpiece, or maybe it's one leg in a three-legged stool. Um, so, uh, yeah, there might be some more sophisticated way of thinking about this. I think the reason that the framework is interesting is it's, whether it's, it's because, look, you know, whether you want to call him a narcissist or you want to call him, you know, a billy goat, it doesn't matter. The actual traits are, are true of Trump. They're all consistent. So they all serve as a roadmap, regardless of whether or not you are accredited, regardless of whether or not you, um, you have credentialing or you've studied, studied this. The fact of the matter is that every single description perfectly describes our president. So it's a useful way to think about what he does going forward. Yes, it is. Now, you bring up other things about sort of what he makes other people do, um, which is something that we've talked about on the show in the context of thinking of him as a cult leader or when Michael Cohen couldn't get out from under his influence of a mob boss, you know, that is kind of constantly, uh, I think Bill Browder has said that leaders like Putin and Trump are kind of constantly blackmailing blackmailing and bribing you. So at the same time, you know, in this, in a way, in a way that kind of 
operators in social life do. You know, they're kind of getting you to confess something that you probably shouldn't have confessed, and then also holding out the hope that you'll have dinner with them, or maybe they'll get you a job somewhere. So you're just like, what? they get you in a trap within the first five words. And John D. Domenico, who does our impression of Donald Trump, says when he's met him, and he's met him a number of occasions, the first thing he always gets you to do is assent to what a good time you're having. Isn't it beautiful out? Isn't it great? Don't you look, don't you look great today? Aren't we all having a good time? These things are getting a lot better. And once you've sort of assented to that, you're like putty in his hands. He controls whether you're happy or not. What you say in here is Fauci and Burks, who we're all counting on a lot because they're doctors and because they're on this task force and because often they're the only you know, people on stage who seem to have left functioning left brains and a sense of responsibility. And expertise. They know it. And expertise. Exactly. That they're acting like you say old time apothecaries, hoping not to humiliate the narcissist. Tell me about that. Yeah, that they're measuring their words. So here's what I would say. Um, and th- this I've given some thought to. Um, so narcissists, because they, in point of fact, do not have skyscraping egos, but very tiny, little fragile egos, you know, dollhouse size egos. They, they don't surround themselves with the best people. They surround themselves with a giant gallery of sycophants so that they are never going to feel um, upstaged, exposed, embarrassed. Um, they need people who uh, protect them, you know, so that they look good, so, or not protect them, people who will um, who, who don't ever challenge them, right? Because it's an existential threat to be told that you're wrong um, or to be exposed for not knowing something. So people have to calibrate what they say very carefully. They have to titrate their words very carefully. So you have somebody like Mike Esper, the defense secretary, early on saying, don't give Trump bad news. Right. We, we want to be very careful. We don't want to, like, frighten him. You know, uh, when talking about this pandemic, I mean, imagine having to protect your president as the defense secretary. You know, imagine having to protect your president from bad news rather than being able to have a frank discussion about what's coming. And so here we have all of these people who, you know, when they go up on stage, they go through these elaborate, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your decisive leadership and all this stuff. It's painful to listen to. And the governors are now doing this, knowing that their states and the people in their states, the lives of the people in their states depend on it. It, it, They actually depend on these governors to some degree sucking up. They have to, and, and and it's a very fine line because, you know, narcissists can also detect when you're, like sucking up too much, and then they have contempt for you. So people have to walk this fine line between, you know, sycophancy and also um, being firm, right? So you have somebody like Cuomo who is being thankful when he's genuinely grateful and carefully going out of his way to praise him, but also being quite firm when he thinks that he's being underserved. And you have Trump very crankily very vindictively, very spitefully, because that's how narcissists are, you know, saying that he's angry at a certain governor that day, and then that governor has to worry about whether he or she won't get what he or she needs. What I think is the most interesting about this is Fauci and Burks, because they're the ones with the facts. And there are times when you watch Trump standing up there saying things that don't in any way align with the facts, that are inconsistent with the facts. So he will trumpet a new therapy whose 
therapeutic effects are unproven, or he will raise the hope of a seasonal cure. And it turns out that the odds are very low that there'll be one, or he'll say that the vaccine is going to be coming very quickly. And in point of fact, it's, you know, 12 to 18 months off. So they have learned, I think Fauci in particular is a genius at this. He has learned that the way to correct Trump is to simply stick with facts. It's a just the facts kind of old time reporter thing. You don't go in and say, no, that's wrong. You don't say, well, actually, you just say, yes, we think it will be it's yes and. <laughs> yes. And then he might wind up contradicting him completely, but you don't he, but it doesn't register to Trump as a contradiction. And that's how you do it. It's amazing to see him do it. We had two relevant shows recently. Frank Figluzzi, the former FBI FBI agent and operator who ran hostage negotiations. And we also had a reporter from Tablet who'd written about the rise in domestic abuse cases in New York City in particular. And both of them were talking about, essentially, when you are stuck with someone, when you are depending on them for your life, there is a delicate balance you have to walk. And that Fauci, as much as we might say, well, why don't Fauci and Burks just storm off? Or in the case of women suffering domestic abuse during a quarantine, I'm sure that they just want to get out to another quarantine. Um, and, and, and I, you know, Carly taught me that, that no, actually, they desperately need to stay where they are. And so the idea is harm reduction. How can you say the thing to the abuser, do the thing with the abuser that will stop him from firing you because people will die or stop him from hurting the children because they might die? So this managing of a narcissist, managing an abuser, the fact that Fauci should have to extend his imagination to come up with things like Trump is being aspirational when he proposes we could get back to work by Easter. It's just agonizing to see the intelligences of Fauci and Burks go to this miserable work that many of us have, have tasted, uh, you know, in personal ways of managing a, a very dangerous personality. That's where we are. That's where we are in the middle of a pandemic. Well, and th so the line that I mean more than any other in that column is, they are going out of their way to create a safe space for our president when the president is supposed to be creating safety for the entire nation. I mean, you've just put your finger on it. I mean, this is where we are. We've got these two guys who are very, I'm sorry, one man and one woman who are very gingerly handling this man who is supposed to be, <laughs> you know, who is supposed to be, you know, firmly at the helm. I mean, it's nuts. It's bananas. It is very interesting that plagues often thrive in, in under tyrannies, that this has been true through past plagues. In Pharaoh's case, as we come up on uh, on Passover, uh, the plague the plague bit him in the butt, and this one seems to be biting Trump, yep. taking away from his power. On the other hand, it's also hurting the rest of us. Um, and it is, uh, tyranny is an, and an autocracy and a tight control of, of information. You know, you think of like Chernobyl and and, and and proliferation of disinformation it is not the way to beat a virus. You know, it's, it's, it, it, you need all kinds of open sourcing like they did in South Korea. You need all kinds, you need clarity. You need, you know, Cuomo always starts his conferences with the facts. And he says, you know, facts can be depressing. They can be confusing, but nothing is worse than the feeling you're being deceived. That is exactly right.
Yeah. It can't be good for our immune systems either to be lied to. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, the problem with Trump is that he's he's got really only one script, and it's from 2016, right? So everything he says is sort of tailored to his base. He's still complaining about Hillary. He's still complaining about Obama. You know, he's um, still uh, slagging on the, on the blue states and running down New York and running down the fake news. He's got only one playbook. So um, it, it plays to that kind of demagoguery. The other thing is that, you know, if you want to talk about, like, kind of autocracies thriving during plagues and pandemics and bad times, I mean, what's interesting to me is that the way that he is seeing this as an opportunity is to um, suppress votes. But he's not interested in actually leading us through the pandemic, right? What he's interested in is winning 2020. That's what he cares about. That's what's interesting to him. Because again, this is all in his mind, part of one model, which is winning an election. But again, it's not about genuine leadership. So it's not about shoring up his power for the sake of producing ventilators. It's about shoring up his power for the sake of winning Wisconsin. My guest today has been Jennifer Senior, an opinion writer at The New York Times. Thanks so much for joining me, Jen. Thank you for having me. I wish it were under different circumstances. I really like your show, and let's do this again. That's it for today's show. What'd you think? Let's bake up a conversation on Twitter. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And then go on over to Slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus and become a Slate Plus member. Plus members get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free for a mere $35 for the first year. Think of it. You'll be supporting our work, getting ad-free podcasts, and getting all the special podcasts, plus tons of digital swag. So go to Slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan from their own Plague Bunker. Thank you, Melissa, with engineering help from Richard Stanislaw. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.